Welcome to Deep in Dizziness, the show that explores the latest information, treatment, and techniques that provide hope to those suffering from dizziness, vertigo, and balance problems. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Brooke Pierce and Dr. Chelsea Nava. Hello, and welcome back to our podcast, Deep in Dizziness. My name is Dr. Pierce, along with the Dr. Nava. We specialize in leading vestibular diagnostic testing and therapeutic techniques. Today's show is going to be fantastic. Chelsea, take it away. All right. So on our show today, we have the amazing Glenn Schweitzer. He is an entrepreneur, blogger, and creator of Rewiring Tinnitus and Mind Over Meniere's blog. He is passionate and determined about helping those who suffer with vestibular disorders and is also an ambassador board member for the Vestibular Disorders Association. He continues to spread hope and awareness for tinnitus and Meniere's disease, and we couldn't be more grateful and excited to have him here on the show. So welcome, Glenn. Hello, Glenn. How are you? I'm good. It's great to be with, here with you guys today. I really appreciate you having me. We're excited. So let's just break it way down. So for the listener, sure. what is Meniere's disease? Give us the details. Sure, yeah. So Meniere's disease is an inner ear vestibular disorder. Um, it is considered an idiopathic condition, so meaning we don't know what causes it. Um, it's generally a diagnosis of exclusion where all other possible known causes of the symptoms are, are ruled out. Um, but it's typically characterized by four primary symptoms, um, and it, uh, they occur episodically or like in, in clusters and attacks of uh, vertigo. And it, typically it's like rotational vertigo where the room feels like it's kind of spinning around you. Um, and then dizziness uh, is associated with that as well. And sometimes the dizziness can be ongoing. It's kind of fluctuating. Uh, also a feeling of fullness and pressure in the ears. Uh, that can be very uncomfortable and and painful and also tinnitus which is ringing in the ears or really it's not just ringing it any any perception of sound that isn't there um and it is a really difficult condition to live with um because not a lot of doctors are very familiar with it like a lot of general practitioners and ents like aren't very familiar with it um, and a lot of people go for a long time and really struggle before they ever kind of get any sort of sense of diagnosis or feeling of, of hope and direction. Um, and so it's a, it's a tough condition to live with. I was diagnosed at, at 24, which, as you can imagine, like, a, it's hard to be diagnosed with so young. Um, but that's, that's, that's a pretty good, like, basic summary of the condition. There's a lot of secondary symptoms as well that kind of result from this like it, it impacts your quality of life in all sorts of different ways like from fatigue anxiety um brain fog like cognitive impairment so it, it can it can be quite um debilitating uh, when it's bad um but as you mentioned like my whole kind of purpose with all this is to try to spread some hope um and and let people know that as scary as it all is that there is hope well tell us your story let's go to yeah. 24 yeah, yeah, sure. Well, to, to back up a little bit further, like I, I didn't, how I came to this idea in the first place, like I, 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 I kind of always sort of had a, I guess, an entrepreneurial spirit. And I was working for myself for a while when I first had the initial idea to start Mind Over Meniere's. Um, and when I decided to write a book, it didn't really feel like this impossibility that <laughs> my girlfriend and family at the time seemed to think it was, uh, you know, seemed to think it was. 
And I had wanted to start some kind of writing project for a while um, and had been brainstorming sort of ideas of things to write about. It wasn't, it wasn't really obvious to me at first to write about Meniere's disease. It was, I had been managing my symptoms well and coping well for, for a few years at that point. And it wasn't like something that was in the forefront of my attention and thinking all the time. Uh, so it wasn't obvious at first, but I started thinking about, you know, how much I had struggled early on um, in the early days of my diagnosis and how I ultimately discovered all these ways to cope and improve my quality of life so much through a lot of trial and error. And the more I thought about it, it kind of just, something kind of just clicked and I realized that I could probably help a lot of people by, by uh, sharing my experiences. So I, I definitely appreciate the opportunity to do so today. Um, so when I started writing, you know, I started to understand that the most important thing that I had to offer people um, based on what I had gone through, and I, and, I, and I promise I'll get to all that in a minute, um, but the missing piece of the puzzle for me and, and the missing piece of the puzzle for so many other sufferers was this idea of hope and a very specific experience that I went through early on sort of showed that to me. Um, so I had suffered for months and months before I was diagnosed or, or even saw a doctor. I was very much in denial um, for whatever reason, for a long time. I don't know, I was young. I guess I thought whatever was wrong with me would just get better or go away. Um, but I was having increasingly frequent vertigo attacks, although I didn't know that word at the time. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I knew I felt dizzy like very dizzy and that it would get really bad. Um, I thought I, a number of times I thought it was food poisoning um, because it would happen after I would eat like a large meal at restaurants. Uh, in hindsight, it was probably just eating a ridiculously large amount of sodium, which ended up being one of my main triggers of my symptoms. Um, but I always just sort of hoped it would go away, even though that things progressively were getting worse. I was having, I was, I was feeling like more brain fog and more dizzy just regularly, like throughout the day, even when I wasn't having these kind of attacks. Um, and I just, I just kept trying to push through, um, but I wasn't changing anything. And it wasn't until probably like five or six months in when I had a horrible, terrible, uh, vertigo attack that just completely incapacitated me for like an hour and a half, um, you know, room spinning, holding onto the couch, like just total panic struck stricken, um, that I finally just broke down and kind of realized like, okay, something is very wrong with me here. It's not getting better. I need to, to go get help. And, and so at that point, um, I did, but it was a terrible experience. And I think this experience mirrors what a lot of patients go through or, or, have you know at some point or another uh so i, I kind of just went on my you know insurance provider's website i i found uh, whatever ent was closest to my house and i drove over there and i was really nervous like i i felt so, the, the day after that vertigo attack i just was like a shell of myself like i had no energy i was exhausted i was dizzy um probably shouldn't even have driven myself but i did and i got there and i remember sitting down with this this doctor and he was an older gentleman um very like cold very little compassion there and and he asked what was wrong and i remember telling him about the vertigo attack and then and then kind of working backwards and telling him about all the earfulness and this pressure i was feeling in my ears and how my tinnitus was going up and down and and i was having trouble hearing um and he just you know he, he listened to me talk for a little while and the next thing i know he's looking at me and he says okay he doesn't want to order any tests or do anything. He just looked at me and he says, everything you're describing is known as Meniere's disease. Like this describes your symptoms exactly. Like 
you know, you need to make all these changes to your life. It describes the vertigo, the hearing loss, and the hearing loss is going to continue to get worse. You need to cut out all these things. You need to make all these changes. You need to go on these different drugs. And I, I'm hearing this, and I'm hearing, you know, he's saying, you know, I'm hearing words like incurable, like change, like change everything. And I'm, I'm starting to panic. And, and when I get nervous in, like, situations like this, I just start asking a lot of questions. Like, I've always been a type of person who wants to understand, like, what's wrong with me, what the doc, what, you know, understand the doctor's thinking. And so I started asking questions and he took that to be like me questioning his intelligence or something because he started yelling at me and he was like, what, you don't believe me? You think I'm lying to you? Like, this is what, this is what it is. Like, this is what it, this is what you need to do. And so it was just this horrible experience. Like he didn't realize that I was just like falling apart. Like I, I was just in a full on panic like I, I you know he's telling me all these these things like I have this incurable chronic condition you know I'm, I'm going there thinking okay well whatever's wrong you know he'll help me I'll, I'll get I'll get past this and get on with my life and that's that's not um at all what happened and when I, I you know I left his office that day and I just had no hope at all like I just was crushed I I really for a period of time believed like believed in at the core of my being that my life was just over that I would just be, uh, you know, um, I would just have no quality of life ever again. Um, and I remember getting home from that appointment and getting on the computer and, and starting to Google and, and research Meniere's disease. Uh, and then, you know, everything I found was conflicting with everything else I found. And it was all absolutely terrifying. And so just the worst case scenario just became fixed in my mind. Like all these horrible reports I'm reading, all these people suffering in all the worst ways imaginable, uh, just were just, just all I could think about. And I just went into a deeper and, and deeper depression for a while. And, uh, you know, I, I still took the medications. He, he prescribed me um, uh, some steroids. Uh, I did a course of prednisone. He got me on diuretics, um, which is the, a lot of, you know, pretty standard like first line treatments. Um, and so I, I, I eventually started taking them. I started trying to cut out salt and making some of the changes, but it wasn't really helping very much. Like maybe my ear pressure, I, I felt a little encouraged. Like I remember the first thing that started to change a little bit was some of the earfulness was going away a little bit, but I was still having attacks. I was still dizzy. I still had the, the earfulness. I was horribly brain fogged. I was, I, I wasn't, I was like really struggling, um, in work and school and, you know, I, it went on like this for a little while. Um, and I, you know, I was in this dark place. Um, and I remember at the time <clears throat> my, uh, my girlfriend, Megan, who's, who's now my wife, uh, and also the rest of my family, they kept pushing me to get a, a second opinion, but I had in some ways kind of like given up, uh, I think, and just sort of resigned to my fate. Like I was, you know, just going to be disabled. Uh, and that's how it was going to be. But, um, ultimately, one of my family members, my grandmother had found, uh, my grandfather rather, uh, had found a specialist at the University of Miami, which is about an hour away from where I live. Uh, and it was a neurotologist, although I didn't know that word at the time. I just, I was told this is somebody who has a lot of experience with Meniere's and maybe they can help. And so I sort of reluctantly agreed to this second opinion. And thank God I did because that experience was completely different and it really changed everything for me. Um, so the second doctor uh, was, uh, it was like the polar opposite of, of the first ENT. He was this super kind and compassionate guy who just like took the time and listened to everything I was telling, like listened to my whole story, 
was happy to answer all my questions, like saw how concerned I was and like made it a point to tell me about some of his other Veneers patients who were doing really well. He told me, you know, a lot of the things I had been starting to try were, were good changes, healthy lifestyle changes, and that like, you know, those were, that was smart. And he told me about other things I could do, you know, supplements I can try. He told me that if this doesn't work, you know, there's other medications, even surgeries we can do. And, you know, it wasn't, it, it, it was like a turning point for me. It wasn't even so much that it was like some new specific treatment or strategy that he wanted me to do. It was that he, he, he painted this picture of a world, a world where there was hope, where, where I might be okay again. And I didn't even know it was possible before that. Like, I, I again, I, I was convinced that my life was over. And just knowing that there was this possible path out of this horrible suffering, just, just knowing that, that there was some hope, just changed everything. Um, and so I started, like, from that point forward, I just started fighting back um, and doing everything I could possibly do to to improve. And that involved, like, and not just, like, trying to cut out like the common things that are known to trigger Meniere's disease. I didn't know if they would affect, that would help me or not, but I just started doing everything and, and anything that I could. I was not very healthy at the time. I had gone back to school and I was taking classes and I was kind of just eating a lot of fast food and not exercising a lot. Um, and so I made like a real effort to just become as healthy as I possibly could outside of Meniere's disease, like, you know, to just get my fitness level up try to lower my stress level. You know, I started meditating, doing all these different things. Um, and then I started to, to slowly improve. Like the, everything kind of came together and like all the suffering slowly just, my, my, it's, it's not gone. It's an ongoing management effort for me now, but, but I, I have been able to manage uh, really well. And I, and I know I'm lucky too, that not everyone is able to manage primarily with, with lifestyle kind of management and, 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 uh, dietary management and things like that. Like I, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I haven't had to go take medications or do any surgeries or anything like that. Um, but the sort of takeaway there was that hope was that missing piece for me that like really clicked in my head that changed everything. And I knew that was the case for a lot of other people too. I mean, you go online and you go to any of these like online message boards or support groups and you see how much suffering and pain and like desperation there is out there and I get it like I had been through it uh but that idea of hope sort of became like the core idea of the whole project of the book and you know this idea that no matter how much you're suffering or or how bad it may seem right now that there is hope and and so I I started writing and and kind of framing everything around that um and it and I I saw it resonate like I, I there weren't many people talking that way about Meniere's disease at the time and so I started writing the book I started the book first and then I started the blog shortly after as a way to sort of test out how my ideas would be received because it was it was all just based on my own personal experiences at that point. Um, and people really responded positively to like all these articles and sort of ideas I was putting out. And I just sort of kept it all going from there and it's just built up and built up over time um, from there. So that's sort of like the short version of, of my story uh, of what happened you know, in the early days and also how this all came together. Well, you've documented your entire journey with Meniere's. Um, what is it like to be an open book with your experiences? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, you know, at, at first, at first, it was it was honestly kind of difficult. Um, I had been a somewhat private person, I guess you could say, before all of this, um, and so the idea of 
permanently and publicly associating my name on the internet with like this debilitating chronic illness was sort of a hard thing for me to wrap my head around. But at the same time, like, I also felt like, like I was saying before, like, I really felt like I had something to offer and I saw the impact it was having too. And that was very encouraging. Like, I felt like I was helping people. Um, and that felt good. And you know, if, if I was, if I was working some kind of traditional or like corporate nine to five job, or if I had that sort of path in my head as like where I was headed in the future, I don't know that I, I can't, say for sure that I would have ever written about Meniere's disease, or maybe I would have used a pseudonym or something like some uh, other uh, Meniere's authors have done. Um, but remember, I was already, I had already had like a small business that I started. I was supporting myself. I already knew that like working for myself was sort of the thing I was going to do. Like at this point, I can't even imagine working for, for anybody else. Um, and so once I, I sort of just committed. So like those fears of like people finding out about it and that impacting my life negatively in some way were low enough that I could just sort of commit and, and get started. And so I just started publishing the blogs and sharing them. And, and once it was out there and I saw the positive feedback and I saw the message message resonate, I started to feel a lot more confident about it. And it, it stopped being such a big concern. And, and what, you know, what's interesting is over time, I, uh, I started to realize that like the the blogs and videos where I was just being very vulnerable and talking about that instead of just being like instructional, like here's how I deal with this problem. You can you know here's these techniques to try. When I when I would write about just things I was struggling with and like you know when I would have symptom spikes or just just go through hard times, like that when I was most vulnerable, that's what like people really resonated with. Um, and those those articles would always end up and and videos and things like that would always end up being shared the most and I would get the most feedback. And so once, once my story was out there and my name was publicly attached and like, you know, th that's no coming back. I just felt, you know, I felt a lot more comfortable and then I just always tried to be just authentic and, and real, but, but it is, it is kind of weird in some ways, but then in other ways too, like it doesn't in my normal day-to-day -day life with, with friends, my, my friends, my family, everybody knows what I do and my books that I've written. Um, but it's not something that, you know, just comes up all the time, just meeting new people and things like that. So uh, it has not, it, it's been a very net positive thing, significantly net positive thing overall. But it is weird to to live, to live with your name being publicly kind of associated with a health condition. That's for sure. I kind of want to know who that first doctor was, but don't tell them. <laughs> don't. Doctor I, 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 it's, it's not a secret. I can, I can tell you if you want to. No, it's His, okay. his name was... Okay. No, don't do it because we'll get okay, a bad okay, review. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Protect privacy, right? You, you oh found my. the right sure, position, sure. so that's good. Yeah, so, and I just got lucky. Like, people go years without yeah. finding a, a, a doctor. I mean, some, if you live in, like, a rural area, like, I hear it from people all the time who are just like, there's no, there's some ENTs here, and none of them, like, have really any experience with Meniere's disease or diagnosing and treating other vestibular conditions, and it's like, I don't, it's hard to know what to say. Like some people end up having to travel and then you, you travel and maybe you don't even get a good, you know, the doctor doesn't really fit with, with your personality, yeah. but, but having that is, is super important. So what was the good doctor's name? Oh, not, that, that's what I'm not the say. bad that, that, one. Oh, I thought you were going to say the bad one. I was like, no, please. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I would, no, I wouldn't say it. No, uh, the, the good doctor's name is uh, Dr. Fred Teleshi. I think he's the head of otolaryngology at the university of Miami, uh, U health, or he was at the time. Um, and I saw him a bunch of times early on, and then I, I sort of just, I haven't had to even go on a, on a regular basis. Um, I see a, 
I see a local ENT here for allergy and allergy-related issues, and I have my hearing checked um, regularly, but I, I haven't had any significant, like, Meniere's episode relapses where I feel like, okay, I need to, like, pursue some medical treatment or, or, or follow up in some new way. I've been able to mostly manage the worst of the, the, worst of the symptoms. I haven't had any major vertigo attack in, in quite a few years. I still get dizzy. It, it ramps up if I if I it ramps up from time to time. Like I'll I'll get a lot of earfulness sometimes. The tinnitus will spike up and down. Um, and with the earfulness, my hearing loss will fluctuate. You know, will, will fluctuate. Although I've I've been lucky to avoid permanent hearing loss. And and that's something that for, that the good doctor uh, in the the neurologist Dr. Tashi uh, my family, he was like you know the good doctor. He said. <laughs> He would, well, that was my biggest fear. It was like my first doctor kind of had me believing that I was going to just slowly go deaf in both ears. I have bilateral meniers. And so the sec, you know, Dr. Teleshi wanted to, you know, he, he ran all these other tests to confirm the diagnosis, but he also was very clear about like, if you can get ahead of this and, and are able to manage your, your symptoms and, and not have, and somehow be able to stop the attacks, there's no reason to just expect to go deaf slowly mm -hmm. over time. And and he's been right so far. I had my, you know, when it flares up and the earfulness comes back, like I, if you measured my hearing during those times, I'm sure you would see low to mid range hearing loss. And, and it did, they did measure that um, initially, but I had my hearing checked just a couple months ago on a great day and it was, my hearing was, was normal. So I'm, I'm very lucky on, in that respect. So how do you manage your symptoms then? How do you work through your symptoms? What are your tips well, and tricks? Yeah, sure. Well, so working with Meniere's is a big challenge. Um, even, even for me, and, and again, I'm not having like some of the more severe symptoms on a regular basis, um, but it is something I still struggle with. Uh, because one of the kind of unfortunate realities of living with Meniere's disease and also a lot of other chronic illnesses is that even if you're not actively experiencing vertigo or dizziness, you, you still often have to deal with those secondary symptoms I talked about in the beginning, like fatigue and, and brain fog. And so brain fog is this like kind of, it's like a fluctuating clouding of consciousness, like this cognitive impairment that makes it really hard to focus and feel motivated and remember things it affects like executive function you like i'll, I'll like walk into rooms and, and forget why i walked in there like you know it kind of affects your memory and uh, word recall that kind of thing like words get stuck on the tip of your tongue uh, and those sort of symptoms are often some of the most frustrating e even you know especially if you're used to being like a self-motivated or productive person like i struggle with this a lot but i know a lot of people a lot of other people too who still experience the more severe symptoms and will still say that like brain fog and fatigue and not having the energy and cognitive ability to like live their life and work and do the things they want to do is like the most frustrating or most difficult thing to cope with. Um, but I do have a few different strategies that I use depending on the situation. Um, so we can definitely go through some of that. <clears throat> a lot of what I do is preventative and has more to do with like ongoing lifestyle management in an effort to just manage my health overall. So I have a lot of like healthy habits and routines that I follow every day um, that help me to sort of maintain a baseline quality of life for the most part. So for example, I, I, I go to bed and wake up about the same time every day. Uh, so I, I make a real effort to protect my sleep as much as I can, although we have a toddler at home who's not sleeping great right now, so that, that impacts it. Um, I'm also very disciplined with my diet, uh, and that that was big early on. Like sodium, going very going on a low sodium diet helped a lot early on to the point where 
like one sodium heavy meal within 15 to 20 minutes, my symptoms would, I would start to feel the ramp up of symptoms. So, so understanding my dietary triggers and, and that sort of thing helped me early on. But now I've transitioned to a more like, um, I found that I, I do best as a maintenance diet with a, a more carb restricted diet for some reason, uh, like where I'm, I'm not doing keto or anything like that. It's more just, I avoid processed foods. I keep my sodium. I, I don't have to pay very close attention to my sodium anymore. Not as much as I used to, but point is I'm, I'm very disciplined and I manage my diet very carefully. I exercise regularly. I try to keep my physical health uh, in, I try to keep in shape. I meditate every day. Um, mindfulness is big for me right now, but I've done some kind of meditation every day for years. Uh, I write in a journal. I, I go to, I'm in therapy to like manage stress and, 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 you know, um, I have all sorts of other like kind of relaxation things I do to try to just give myself this baseline of, of, of health to, to build on routines have always been really big for me. That's something I wrote a lot about in the book. Um, cause it's hard to make any positive changes, especially when you're struggling and like debilitated by this crazy balance disorder. Uh, so I've always tried to like set up kind of habits and routines to sort of just automate the, the healthy, but difficult choices that I have to make on a regular basis to help me feel better. Um, and uh, you know, I, I should mention that one thing that kind of sets my situation apart is I work for myself from home. So that obviously gives me like a lot more options and freedom that not everybody has. And I, and I totally get that. So like on a lot of days, if I'm not feeling well, like I can just stop working and, and rest for a while if I need to, if I don't have anything major going on, the thing I struggle with on when that, you know, on those days is feeling guilty and, and lazy when I take days off. It's, it's like a fine line sometimes between like, Am I really not, am I, is it really better to rest? Am I really not feeling well enough to, to push through? Like is resting the best thing I can do? That's a hard decision to make when you're like a very self-motivating type A, like productive person, but I'm getting better at it. And I'm, I, I've had to kind of force myself to learn this lesson like over and over again, that rest is not laziness when your symptoms are spiking or you're, or you're not feeling well, it's, it's medicine. So I've tried to like internalize that, like just yesterday, for whatever reason, I, I just was having so much brain fog and I, I had, I worked half a day and by, by like one o'clock, I just had nothing left. And uh, even though I had a lot more to do, I just decided to end it. And, and I was just okay with that. And I just rested and, um, learning to be okay with that is, is sort of part of the deal. Um, but there of course are a lot of times when there's things I have to do, whether work or otherwise, when I don't have a choice, right. Where I have some sort of responsibilities and I need to push through my symptoms and, and get things done regardless of, of how I feel. And so when, when that happens and it does happen from time to time, sometimes more than others, it, it generally, if I'm going through a stressful period of time or a lot going on in my life, that tends to happen more. Um, but when it happens, I try to do a few different things. So I'm happy to talk about that. So number one is I try to manage my priorities first. So, so even, on my worst days, I've sort of learned that my most productive time of day is like first thing in the morning, like when I'm feeling refreshed and I, or as refreshed as I'm going to feel, um, before I do anything else. Right. So I'll generally sit down first thing in the morning on bad days. If I have to do something, I'll look at my, my schedule and figure out like, what are the one or two things that are non-negotiable? Like I have to get this done or I have to do X or Y today. Um, and then I will try to just focus on finishing that one or two things, um, you know, the, the two most important things on my to-do list. And then if I can, I'll let myself off the hook for everything else. Um, 
and that, that tends to work to a point. I mean, it's hard. Some days it's, it's, I mean, when you don't have a choice, you don't have a choice and you just have to find a way to get through sometimes. Although other times, sometimes just, I just have to get the ball rolling a little bit to kind of get into the flow of whatever I'm doing. Uh, like if I'm writing something and I'm feeling brain fogged, like a lot of times, like the first 10 minutes will just, it's like torture. It's like, I, it, it's, it's like pulling teeth, like nothing's flowing. Like the ideas, it's just like trying to grind the words out of my brain. Um, but then it's usually you hit like a rhythm and it may, you may, I may have to do a lot of editing, but like I can kind of get to a flow. Um, or if I'm working um, with like one of my one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching clients, like, you know, after a few minutes of listening and focus and interacting, I can kind of just, um, you know, just, just get into the zone um, and finish the task. And when that's done, I, you know, I may have to rest for a while or even take the rest of the day off. But generally, I've found that I can get the one or two most important things out of the way. And knowing how to prioritize those one or two things has been sort of something I've focused on and, and gotten better at. And I do a lot of other things, too, like um, <clears throat> some other tips for people out there. Like I, I'll turn my phone on silent or do not disturb because it, like any little distractions if I build up any sort of momentum or flow or, or like I'm, I'm, feel, I'm even a little bit productive, like having a phone call or an email or something come in will just totally derail it. It's like such a fragile little spark of energy to work with that like I'll, I'll just make, take myself offline so that I can just really focus on what I'm doing. Um, I take some supplements sometimes. I'll take things like CBD, which, has, which can help me with uh, – anxiety so if i'm like really stressed out I, I might take a little bit of cbd and that helps to calm me down so i can focus a little bit better um i i, I do this one thing that that's helpful I, I listen to this type of audio that has something called uh brainwave entrainment embedded into it which is this sort of audio technology that can change your mental state uh so like there's th this i actually make tracks like this to help people with brain fog and stress and anxiety and all these different symptoms but um, it it, it kind of puts you into like a more stimulated, focused state without the side effects of having to drink something like caffeine or take some stimulant that could trigger my symptoms. Um, so I'll listen to that. Like if I'm working at the computer and I don't need to be on the phone or anything like that, I'll, I'll have brainwave entrainment on sometimes for a little while to kind of just give me a little bit of a like a focus boost. Um, and then I'll also double down on all the self care stuff. Like I'll do extra meditation. Uh, instead of doing intense cardio, I'll go for a walk. Like I'll take walks instead, which kind of helps to clear my head out. <clears throat> and then the other thing is when, when I'm feeling good, I try to just really take advantage of that and get as much done as possible so that I can afford myself the time to rest when I need it on, on bad days, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that that's so important because obviously your media outlet is called Mind Over Meniere's and we completely agree that there's always a mental component to treatment and recovery in any medical situation. Um, to you, what role does the mind play in coping and treating? Because you've gone through some really good kind of advice and strategies to help people, you know, build their, yeah. their mental fortitude. But what for you on the regular, um, you know, you, you mentioned the routine, but those strategies, is it kind of a fluid yeah. moving scale? Yeah, well, okay, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll come at this from a little bit of a different way. So, you know, it's, it's funny when I when I came up with the name when I was trying to think of the title for the book like I, Mind Over Manier I didn't think of it it was like toward the end of writing or actually that's not true it was sometime in the beginning but when I came up with the title I, it wasn't it was just supposed to be like a catchy title like I was trying to think of something that would be easy e memorable like if, if I could say it once to someone who's suffering and they wouldn't forget it um, 
you know, most of what I write about is very like action and technique oriented. You know, I don't focus a lot necessarily on like um, mindset, I guess you could say. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I definitely with the title, like I, I hear from people from time to time who don't actually read anything. They just see the title and they're like, are you trying to tell me like this is some sort of mind, mind over, over matter? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it absolutely, I absolutely was not trying to imply any sort of mind matter connection. It was just supposed to be like a clever play on words. Uh, but you know, you, you definitely can't think your way out of these kinds of terrible symptoms. Um, but let, let's, uh, let, let me talk about mindset for a minute though, because mindset does, it is another sort of key component here. Uh, and there, and it does play an important role in a, in a few different ways. Um, so, the, the first thing, you know, and this is this goes back a little bit. This is more like other people who are struggling rather than like specific things. Some of this is specific things that I do. But um, the first thing with mindset is, you, you know, if you're struggling, you sort of need to find a way to understand and believe that there is hope for you um, because you're never going to fight as hard for your health to improve your symptoms if you just think that your situation is is hopeless, um, and I see that hopelessness a lot. There, there's actually a, an interesting like psychological concept that explains this pretty well. It's called learned helplessness. Um, it, it certainly applies to what I went through uh, early on. It's this idea that the basic idea is that like if a person or or animal is is repeatedly subjected to like a horrible situation that they think they can't escape or control in any way, like it's just happening to you and random, and there's nothing you can do. You, you eventually just stop trying to get out of it. Uh, even, even if the opportunity is, uh, for escape is like presented in front of you, like you won't take it because th you get to this point where hopelessness becomes like the default. So it's super important uh, to have hope. Um, the, the challenge here, which I sort of touched on before, is that you're gonna find a lot of really scary information online when you start looking into this and and that's going to give you a lot of like really negative thoughts and anxiety and that anxiety is going to only make the symptoms worse um and so trying to the hope is step one but along with that is trying to find ways to to manage your stress levels outside of this to to relax to calm down like relax learning breathing techniques and relaxation techniques like um that's that's also super important um so that that's the first piece of this the next piece is sort of the next mindset kind of piece is that it has to do with acceptance, but but not acceptance in in the traditional sense. I mean it more in like the stoic philosophy sense, meaning like, okay, I have this terrible, chronic, incurable condition, and I can't change that. So what can I change? Like where can I put my energy? Like what what actually do I have control over? And let me let me put all my energy there rather than just trying to figure out how did this happen or mourning the things that have been left behind just focusing all of your energy on finding those levers to pull that may, that may increase your quality of life now. Um, when I was writing my book, I, I came across uh, an interview with um, Michael J. Fox where they asked him about living with uh, Parkinson's, and he, he summed it up really well. He said, you know, and, th and this kind of helped me to wrap my head around it. He said, I don't have any choice whether or not I have Parkinson's, but it's something like this, but, but surrounding that non-choice are a million other choices that I can make. Um, and, and that applies directly to Meniere's, that applies directly to most uh, chronic illnesses. So just committing to just focusing on figuring out what are the things that you can control, where can you spend your energy that's gonna actually make an impact here. Um, and then the third piece of the puzzle of mindset, which is related to the last two things, is just not never giving up. Uh, you know, it's, Meniere's is such a complicated condition. 
where every case feels like it's unique, right? Like no, no single treatment works for everybody. Like there's a lot of, there's many, many, many different treatments and supplements and things you can do like uh, surgeries. There's, there's so many different things you can try, um, but no single treatment works for everyone. My, my gut feeling here is that it's probably some kind of like basket diagnosis where, you know, with multiple underlying causes and the same or a very similar set of symptoms, but ultimately like different underlying conditions. Um, some research seems to be suggesting that, but, but for the time being, like just being willing to fight and not giving up is so important because you, you never know when you're going to find that next thing or that next combination of things that actually moves the needle for you. And, and you have to just be willing to just keep fighting and looking for new ways to improve your quality of life. And, and, you know, I, I understand that like it can progress to a point where you may never be able to restore quality of life to what it was before. Like I still live with limitations that are not wanted. Um, my quality of life, it, my life has changed, but I'm also the healthiest I've ever been and have been ever since my diagnosis. I am, you know, like I, it, it started me on a path of like learning everything I can about health and trying to improve health and fitness overall. Um, like my, it, it, it's, it led me into a lot of new and interesting um, places and, and just being willing to fight and just always trying to find that next thing that might help. I think that's also really important with mindset and something that I, I hope, I wish more people could grab onto, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think it, you know, it's very evident that you've gone through that Meniere's coping and treatment is, is undoubtedly a very difficult task. Um, and that patients, you know, kickstarting their, their right path and getting on that right path with some of the tips and tricks that you've been able to provide and, and curate over the years um, are very impactful. So, you know, I know you have a couple of books out there. Um, you have some sound mixes for tinnitus relief or tinnitus relief um, and some really great resources on your website. What's next? What do you have on your docket next for a mind over Meniere's? Yeah, sure. So. Uh, with with mind over Meniere's specifically, I'm right now. I'm putting some energy and effort into uh, my Meniere's disease support group on Facebook. It's a Facebook group, um, and we're we're actually now it's the largest on Facebook. Um, we have something like seventeen thousand active members right now, um, and so I've been trying to. I, I've participated in it and moderated it for a long time, but I recently decided I wanted to try to find better ways to like distribute information through the group and kind of provide more direct support there. Um, if any listeners want to join our group, it's, uh, it's facebook.com slash groups slash Meniere's disease support group. Uh, so kind of simple. Um, and so I've been putting some energy in there. Um, I have some different articles and videos I'm going to be making some point soon, but more really more than anything else, um, over the last while, uh, I've been, I've been really focused on, on helping people with tinnitus. You know, it's funny, like tinnitus was, I had like one or two pages in my, in my, in my first book in mind over many years where I talk about how I found relief from tinnitus and how I was able to habituate. And it was like, it was more of like a footnote than anything else. It was like, I had this one idea that really worked for me and that was the end of it. But I started hearing, I got so much feedback, like so many people reached out to me about that one page in the book, about that one technique, this this meditation, these meditation techniques I came up with, um, that I realized like that would, I mean, 
tinnitus is obviously a much more common problem than Meniere's disease. It's really a symptom rather than a condition itself, and a lot of other conditions cause tinnitus as well as Meniere's disease. So by work, by helping people with tinnitus, I'm, I'm able to like help my current audience, but also help a lot more people. So I've been putting a lot of energy there, um, and so right now I'm working on I'm working on a bunch of new um, audio tools to help people with meditation and to better cope with like spikes and, and to habituate faster. Um, I'm, I'm doing a lot of like one-on-one -on -one work. I, I have like a sort of health coaching and peer support service I do for, for tinnitus patients where I sort of teach some of my strategies and it's, it's, it's nice for a lot of people because they're connecting with somebody who's to been to hell and back with all of these symptoms and tinnitus specifically. Um, and, uh, so I've been doing that, and also I'm, my, my biggest project right now is I'm working on like a really comprehensive um, online course, like a video course, to try to teach my habituation strategy in a way that's not just a one-on-one -on -one thing to make it like more affordable and accessible to like a larger and larger uh, number of people. But all the while, I'm just making new content and, and just trying to spread my messages of hope to as many people as I can reach. We love that, and I think... That's really important that we get you kind of plugged in and get our, our listeners plugged in. Um, where can people find you? So we got the Facebook handle. What about Instagram and the website? Yeah, so I, I'm, I don't have an Instagram presence for, for either. I have a little bit on Twitter, but um, on Facebook, you can if you search Mind Over Meniere's on, on Facebook or Rewiring Tinnitus, so, so mindovermeniere's.com and rewiringtinnitus.com, are my two websites. Um, the tinnitus one is obviously all focused on how I found relief from tinnitus, my habituation strategy. Um, it's not based on like getting rid of the sound, but changing the way you react to the sound and so that your brain can start to kind of tune it out like you do other meaningless sounds. Um, so you can, you can find all my work on those two websites. You can reach out to me on Facebook. I have a page for rewiring tinnitus. Uh, and Mind Over Meniere's. And if anyone wants to email me directly, um, you can reach me at Glenn, G-L-E-N-N, -N, at either mindovermeniere's.com or Glenn at rewiringtinnitus.com. Both emails are, are live. I'm happy to connect with people and answer questions and, and try to help however I can. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Glenn. That was an incredible episode. Lots of substance to it. So thanks for listening to our listeners. And remember, if you want to support what we do, share and subscribe. For info on us, you can visit us at dizzyandvertigo.com. And we really appreciate it, Glenn. Yeah, come back for Tinnitus Podcast. It, sure, I'd be, I'd be glad to. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. I really appreciate it. Join us again next time when Deep in Dizziness offers important news, solutions, and advice to help those facing the challenges of dizziness, vertigo, and balance problems live a happier life. To reach Dr. Brooke Pierce and Dr. Chelsea Nava, call 310-954-2207 or visit them online at dizzyandvertigo.com.